Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, in the history of the church, things get messy. And after the last couple of synods, nobody's going to disagree that things are really getting messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for our podcast so that the algorithms push our content out into the world. You are our marketing plan. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All of the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. You may even see a Messy Reformation conference coming in 2024. So keep your eyes peeled for an announcement. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Dave Vandermeulen. So, Dave, why don't you just kick us off and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and the church that you're at? Sure. Um, first of all, thanks for having this opportunity to chat a little bit. I've been thinking about it, and no, it's kind of nice to just have a conversation with you. So, uh, I've been in ministry now for 20 years. Um, I grew up in the western suburbs of Chicago in a Christian Reformed Church. My parents were a, one of those blended marriages. My dad was an RCA uh, plant, and then my wife grew up, in, I mean, my mom grew up in the, the CRC. But lifelong Christian Reformed Church member in the uh, yeah western suburbs of Chicago, went to Timothy Christian, the Christian school in that area, same school my mom had gone to, my grandmother had gone to, my nephews all go to that school. So really ingrained in that community. Although having grown up there, I can't say that I would have been able to tell you, like, what does it mean to be CRC for a very, very long time? Uh, probably at least until, you know, upper high school to college. Uh, but in that, even from a very young age, I sort of felt some kind of a call to ministry. Um, I felt like I, I remember my great grandmother calling me her little pastor, seeing me dressed up in a suit on a Sunday morning or just feeling really drawn to ministry. However, the only options I saw were either missionary or lead pastor, and none of them felt attractive to me. Uh, when I was in high school in the early 90s, my church hired a youth pastor for the first time and asked if I would be on the search committee. And as soon as I sat on that search committee, saw the job description we had written up, I was like, this is what I want to do. I get to go on mission trips and uh, go to the, you know, go-karting with teenagers and uh, call that a career. That would be awesome. Mm -hmm. And so from my sophomore year in high school, started looking into 
what would ministry look like and intentionally seeking out a couple of people at a, a Christian camp I had attended uh, through church and finding out, you know, what would this look like as a career? And so that's what God used to call me in that process. Um, I started dating who is now my wife, my senior year in high school. She went to Calvin. I went to Trinity Christian because uh, we had already made our college choices, but long distance was good for us. Um, and we graduated. We've been married now. It'll be almost 25 years and have two daughters. And uh, I'm jumping all over the place with calling okay. and family, but I uh, have two daughters, uh, freshman in college and a junior in high school. Going back then, uh, went right into seminary because even though I wanted to do youth ministry, uh, the people that God had kind of placed in my life as mentors had become ordained first. And I thought that's what I want to do. So I went right from college into seminary, became ordained, started looking for a youth position somewhere out of the Midwest was our ideal. Thought, you know, we'll go on an adventure for our first call and, uh, Got saw in the banner an advertisement for Escalon, California. Thought, hey, that's a youth position in California. That sounds like fun. Um, got called here and have been here ever since. That was in 2003. And so I'm still at my first call. I did do youth ministry, um, youth associate for the first 12 years. And then for the last eight years, I've been uh, the lead pastor here. Okay. So that's both a long and short version of both calling and family and where I'm at right now. Well, that's awesome. Well, I've got a lot of questions, but I, I guess the first one that popped into my head is, so what was that like for you then transitioning from being a youth pastor into senior pastor, lead pastor, whatever that you want to call it? What, what was that like? Yeah. And that is a good question because that's a move that can go bad in so many ways in a lot of different contexts. And first of all, uh, for our context, one of the things that was important is I said I was the youth pastor, but it was really a youth associate position. And so I was in front of the whole church every single Sunday. When one of us was preaching, the other one would do the liturgy at the beginning of the service, um, the congregational prayer. And so I was very visible in front of the whole congregation throughout even those 12 years. And furthermore, you know, every once in a while you'd jump in and you'd do a, a funeral, you'd do weddings. So the ministry from the get was broader than just youth ministry, even though that's where my main focus was. Mm -hmm. But when our senior pastor, Bruce Personaire, was uh, saying, hey, I'm, I'm ready to move on. I think I want to get ready for retirement, want to live back in this area, but honor the call of the CRC to step out of the area for a little while. He entered into um, interim ministry where he continues to work. At that time, I told the church, all right, first of all, I don't want you to say, hey, we need a pastor. Look, there's one. Let's just throw him up there. I, I made it clear uh, a couple of things. I said, I want you to call me to a new letter of call. And I also uh no better than anybody else. I'm not him. And so I want to be clear and have it known that I'm going to lead in a different way. But with all of that, with time to prepare, with the background, 
the church did a couple of other things. They issued a whole call. They had um, typically in our congregation, the pastor is the lead of the council, the, the president. Uh, they intentionally asked an elder to step into that role for a couple of years to just in case there was anything that, you know, needed someone else to, to bear a burden of a decision. But yeah, for us then, because of a lot of that, that transition went really well. Um, I felt like I had pretty well been set up for leading and stepped into the role pretty well. Yeah. So what changed? Because you said back in the day, you said, I don't want to be a senior pastor. Like that, that had no, no desire for you, but now you're like, okay, maybe that's something I wanted to step into. Yeah. Well, so no desire to be a lead pastor. That was like literally when I was, uh, uh, you know, 10 years old, 12 years old. But once I got ordained, um, I knew that that was probably an inevitability. Um, you know, I'm very passionate about youth ministry. I think it's a very important role. It's an important task, but having said that, I don't know of anybody that's not anybody. I know of very few examples of people that retired as youth ministers or or made a career out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's hard to stay connected to, to teenagers in the constant change of culture. And so, um, no, I, I figured there would be a day that would come when it was time to move on. And, um, I think the timing worked out pretty well, actually, uh, in terms of staying in the same congregation and having done 12 years feeling like, okay, yeah, maybe it is time for me to consider the next stage, um, at the same time that the lead pastor was, was ready to move on. Um, and yeah, in, in doing preaching, I always enjoyed preaching in front of the congregation. Um, there was, yeah, there are other aspects of ministries of just, I love intergenerational ministry, getting to see people of all different ages and walks and, uh, trying to meet them where they're at. So it wasn't a radical shift in, in my thinking, just that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just a different age group, really. Yeah. For me, yep. that was for me when I, you know, because I was a youth pastor for eleven years uh, before stepping into a senior pastor role, and and I had said, um, I really, not that I didn't see myself being a youth, uh, a senior pastor. I just, I said, I'm going to stay in youth ministry until God kicks me out. Yeah, uh, just because uh, I saw, I felt a real need um, for for a really solid youth ministry happening out there, but. But yeah, for me, it was more of a, I came kind of to a position, I got ordained and uh, my current church said, we, we don't, we're not going to have an ordained youth pastor. We just aren't going to pay for that. And, uh, and, and they, they told me, we're not going to hire you as the senior pastor, even though we're vacant. And so I was like, okay, I guess I need to look somewhere else. And, uh, and then looking around, there were zero youth ministry positions out there for, for an ordained person. And so I'm like, okay, I think this is God's sign of, <laughs> I'm kicking you out. It's time to be a, it's time to be a senior pastor, but. Yeah. Wow. That's but, interesting. And yeah, you know, for me, I was grateful. Like I said, that the people that, that I looked to as mentors had gone to that step of being an ordained youth pastor. So it wasn't extra training that was needed, but, um, I've seen a lot of people make that hard transition and it is hard, you know, do youth ministry for a while as a way to confirm their, their pastoral calling. Um, 
but that's that's a lot harder of a path i think to take yeah i'd be curious for you what what was kind of the hardest shift for you to make when going from youth ministry into senior pastor ministry that's a hard question but you know if i'm honest the difficulty or, or the hardest thing was just how much fun i had as a youth pastor and uh, so much of my work was just so enjoyable. Uh, I loved hanging out with the students. I loved uh, playing games with them. I loved seeing those moments of aha where they just grew in their faith in a pretty incredible way. And while I still have fun in aspects of my job, um, yeah, I, I don't want to come off as saying like I don't have fun in my job anymore. Yeah. But that just the youth ministry fun was something totally different. Yeah. And uh, yeah, leading groups of older people, I loved deepening my walk with them. But it just wasn't as you know thrilling. It, it, there yeah. wasn't as much just laughter. I mean, I remember just busting a gut with certain games and just how that just fed into. It, what was happening was, yeah, kind of that part of just, uh, just the joy was a little bit gone. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I can understand that. I've said too, and, uh, this hope this doesn't get me into too much trouble, but I, but I, I felt like, um, teenagers were a little more teachable as well. And so getting into senior pastor ministry, dealing with adults, uh, there's a, you, you kind of get a, teenagers are still trying to figure everything out. They're kind of like, I mean, yes, you can get some teenagers who think they know everything, but for the most part, they don't. For the most part, the teenagers I dealt with were kind of like, we don't have a clue what's going on. Teach me. We want to know. Whereas you start dealing with older adults, they're like, I've got this figured out and uh, I know how to do this. And it's a lot harder to try to like shape and mold and, and uh, disciple older people. Absolutely. And, so I'm going to tell a little story here and just because this is for me in my ministry, this became really exemplary. Um, I did an internship for a year when I was at seminary, the way we did it was two years in the classroom, a year long internship, and then a year back in the classroom. And in my internship year, I distinctly remember being in a church that was aging and smaller. And we had a guest pastor that had come to the church and had said, he had made a comment how they had left like the first 12 rows of the pew were empty before anybody sat. And he said, hey, next week, I want you to sit closer. You know, there's no point in saving these pews for the angels who aren't showing up or something along those lines. He said, sit closer. Well, in making that comment, in this aging church, there was one younger family just getting married. And uh, the way I tell the story is, is they weren't in church long enough to know you, you're supposed to ignore a minister when he says stuff. So that next Sunday, there this young couple was sitting in the second pew and then 10 empty pews before anybody else sat there. And they stood out like a sore thumb. Yeah. And it was it was kind of sad, quite frankly, because that's there is a certain sense where we get very comfortable like, oh, yeah, that's just advice from the minister. And that's just the thought. And yeah, I, I'm just not going to do it because I've and I think people can get very comfortable in just saying like, oh, yeah, that was a good thing to think about, but I'm not going to follow through on it. 
And I think that does come with age. Teenagers, like, I, I again, you, you loved, you, you just suggested like, hey, let's try this. You know, for this week, we're going to, I want everybody to read through this book of the Bible or, or let's engage in prayer in this way. And, and they would do it. And it was fun. Um, and sometimes you don't get the same reaction from people who have, yeah, I've tried everything about faith and prayer and I've got my routines. So that's for somebody else to try. Yep. Yeah, it's probably a good warning for all of us as we get older. And my kids are keep reminding me that I'm turning into the old guy now. Now, now that I'm over 40, I'm I'm old. Yep. So um, but you know, for all of us to kind of keep that youthful, teachable spirit, right? That that we're always kind of willing to try something new and willing to be corrected and taught. And um that, that I think that's a really important part of learning how to grow old well and mm -hmm. to keep following Christ well as we as we grow older too. Yeah. So where, where did you go to seminary, Dave? So, yeah, I went to Trinity Christian and then right into Calvin seminary. Okay. Uh, having grown up in the Christian reformed church, I, that wasn't much of a thought for me. Um, it was, yeah, pretty easy to just go right at Calvin seminary. So did all four years at Calvin. Okay. And what was your experience at Calvin? You know, I enjoyed it. Um, I, so first of all, I will say you walk through those doors at the seminary and day number one, it's like, okay, uh, I know nothing and I completely respect and admire, uh, the people who've gone before me much more than I had previous thought. Uh, mm -hmm. that was very, I found it very academically rigorous. I found it, um, really just, uh, so interesting to, recognize like these questions that we've been asking they've been asked a million times before um and we're not the first ones to show up on this planet and and open up this book and say hey i wonder what this means but there's so many people who have wrestled with these issues deeply um and let's learn from them and uh shape them as i had alluded to you know i don't know growing up if i could have articulated what it meant to be Christian reformed. But as I went to Trinity Christian, which at the, I, which is very much a reformed institution, you know, every time I learned, it's like, yeah, this is what I believe. Uh, I kind of had either taken it in through osmosis or it just, it was an affirmation. I, I didn't wrestle with a lot of the, you know, reformed understandings of the faith. It's like, yeah, this makes sense. Now, I want to, I didn't just never explore other options or never read other things, but everything that I did read, it's like, yeah, this is, this is where I'm at, uh, with my faith journey. Um, you know, the seminary, I got along with the classmates pretty well, although I would say as a young married man, it was especially my first year, it was like, Hey, get the homework. And then it was so overwhelming. It's so busy. It's like, okay, go home, put your head down. I can't say that I really got into the community of the seminary, especially that first year, maybe even two. Um, and, but yeah, I enjoyed the study of it quite a bit. Yeah. yeah somebody had once told me uh, going into seminary is sometimes a wake up call for a lot of guys because uh, most guys pursuing seminary are people who are already kind of intellectual, they kind of already study and then in their circles, they're kind of the most well-read, most intellectual person. So they kind of think they're pretty smart. 
And then they get to seminary and all of a sudden they realize, whoa, there's a lot of other really smart guys here and I'm not as smart as I think I am. And, uh, it's a, it's a humbling experience. Um, and then, uh, you know, you get a little bit of, uh, I should be careful, but you get a little bit of, you can see some people that are trying to like, no, I am still the smartest person and they're trying to prove how smart they are to everybody else. Um, but, uh, which I don't have any time for that kind of stuff. But for me, it was really humbling because I had come from like, I was kind of one of the smarter guys in the circles. I was really well-read theologically. And then I got to seminary and I was like, oh man, I don't know all of the things that I thought I knew. <laughs> Yeah, it's and and I would agree too. It is a humbling experience. Um, you know, I was there to learn, and uh, I think I did quite a bit. And both of the, you know, the parts where you're encouraged to say, "Hey, this is what we believe," but also, "Hey, read this book that challenges this perspective." How do you respond? How do you delve into it? And um, overall, no, I I enjoyed my time and appreciated it. I mean, I was scared to death too again, you feel this calling as a person and you're like, okay, you know, if I don't pass this Greek comprehensive exam, I don't know what I'm doing. Did I just waste the last six years of my educational life? Because, uh, I've got to get through this, this hoop and I'm, I'm worried about it. And yeah, to finally pass it's like, okay, I, I got through the hoops. Um, <laughs> that was very, uh, yeah, yeah boy, the, the stress that you carried uh, through that was a lot, at least for me. Yeah, I want to backtrack a little bit, and this is going to be a huge uh, lane change or a huge gear shift, but um, but it's kind of been a conversation we've been having the last few weeks on the podcast, and uh, uh, kind of about discipleship a little bit. And and you've mentioned a couple of times that you know you grew up in the CRC, uh, but you didn't really always know like what it meant to be CRC, what the beliefs were. Um, what, what was the discipleship like for you as, as a kid and, uh, and a teenager in your church? So again, fairly typical in terms of CRC, I was a cadet from fourth grade on. And I mentioned that because actually that's a program that again, later on, I look back and it's just like, there was a lot of really wonderful lessons I learned through that program. Um, I love the motto of living for Jesus and, and that verse of, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and trying to incorporate that into my life. Uh, the, the song living for Jesus, I, I had it played at my wedding. I played it at my uh, profession of faith, uh, at my ordination service. I mean, that program really just now it, as I say that, and I know some of the counselors I had, were you know the conversations weren't biblically uplifting all of the time but uh i saw uh, i think the themes that were in the material just really resonated with me um i was at the church i grew up in gave a lot of opportunity and i don't know if it was just for me who felt kind of like a call to ministry it seemed like for my peers as well but uh, as a young kid, had opportunities to um, get involved in leadership, to be put on that search committee for a youth pastor, to uh, in the youth ministry, you know, dip my toe into leading devotions or those types of things. Um, 
And then as a Christian school person, uh, grew up in an environment where, um, yeah, the school, I think, brought in those biblical principles to the teaching. Uh, again, I, looking back, I mean, there's both positives and, and things that I would have changed if it was up to me, but there was an environment where, hey, uh, both in my home, my school, and my church, uh, we're going to take faith seriously. Uh, I want you to find ways to grow, and I'm going to give you opportunities through mission trips, through service, and I jumped on those things. I love those. Um, I did two years of swim when I was in high school. I went, uh, our youth group went on yearly mission trips. I went on all four of those when I was in high school, uh, got involved in different youth groups. So whether it was intentional or not, I jumped at a lot of opportunities to really grow. And I did that more for me, it was more corporate than personal. Um, I just make that qualification where I know there are certain personalities that really dive into the Bible study on their own and personal devotions were big. Those were not as big for me. I loved having conversations around the Bible in groups. I loved, um, yeah, about, you know, chewing on things together, getting involved in service, uh, so all of those things were just looking at those opportunities to say, hey, here's a here's another chance where you can explore your calling and put your faith into practice uh, that I love to jump at. And that meant yeah. a lot to me. Yeah. So you're, you know, uh, you mentioned uh, school, home, uh, church, right? Though you mentioned right. the old faithful three-legged stool of the Christian Reformed Church, right? That That I know some people, it's kind of, uh, I don't know, out of date now. Some people don't really like it, but I still, I, I just keep running into people when I, people who are just still faithfully involved, um, and faithfully following uh, Christ still, that three-legged stool has played a really huge role in in shaping and developing them um, as a follower of Christ. And, and I think too, um, just to kind of build on that, uh, one of the things you had mentioned before was, you know, you didn't, you were CRC kind of through and through, but you didn't really necessarily know what that meant theologically. But then as you started studying God's word and started diving in deeper, all of a sudden you started going, oh yeah, this is what I believe. And, and I understand this. And I think there's something just to that, that um, we have to be careful in, you know, we can look back on, and this is even a warning for me because I say this all the time, but we can look back on our younger years and say, well, yeah, I didn't understand Reformed theology and people didn't teach it to me. But I think we probably were learning more than we realized mm -hmm. because there is this, um, I would say, uh, John Whitfleet talks about this with worship, kind of the formative nature of worship that just going through the practices, going through the, the motions of think those are shaping and forming how we view the world. And so then when we do start diving in and do start reading God's word and do start wrestling through some of those things, um, we've been shaped to kind of understand, understand it in a way. And so there probably has been more formation and more discipleship than we even realize as, as we were younger going through these processes. Well, it is. Um, and it's a, on a couple of levels. Uh, again, first of all, um, one thing I loved as a kid uh, that I don't get to do as much now that I'm in ordained ministry, uh, my parents 
when, whenever we went on vacations, we'd go to other churches and try something different. Or I had a lot of community friends that went to churches that weren't Christian reformed. And so those are really good experiences to say like, how is this different? What do you notice? What stands out? And I do remember kind of evaluating some of that. Um, but on the flip side too, yeah, that struggle you have, again, as a pastor, you know, yes, it's important to have catechism classes, but are these students really paying attention? And for myself, yeah, I don't remember really anything from catechism classes that I took. Uh, I can't remember. I can't, you know, I hear of other guys, they say like, oh, yeah, as my catechism teacher used to always say, or, you know, I don't know if I could even tell you their names. But like you said, it, it, it did something. It was, it was formative in a way that I probably never will fully appreciate. But the more I studied it, it was like, okay, yeah, I see why that's important. I see how that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what happens is I remember, and this is, uh, this is a little confession time maybe for people, people figure out how far, how much God has worked in my life. Cause I remember this conversation I had way early on. Um, I had maybe, uh, be, been a youth pastor for three months. And so I was really immature. And some people know my story that I had no idea what I was doing. I was just like, I feel like God's calling me into this. I'm going to try to be faithful. And, uh, but I was talking with another youth pastor and we were reflecting on our experience in youth ministry. And I remember saying, man, I don't remember anything that, that anybody ever taught me in a lesson or any of that. I don't remember any of that. Like, what a waste of time. Like we should just be focusing on all of these other things because none of that really ended up meaning anything to me. And, uh, and I look back, man, it just makes me cringe right now. But, but, but there's this idea, right? Where some people say, well, I, I went through Sunday school and, uh, it really never, I don't remember anything from Sunday school. It wasn't that impactful. So maybe we should just throw it out and do something else. Right. Or people saying like sermons too, like most of the sermons, right? We've grown up to under, to realize we just ignore the pastor. That's kind of what we do. So let's just throw the sermons out because we'll just go serve in the community on Sunday mornings. And uh, we, we forget that all of these things, whether we remember them or not, are, are actually forming and shaping opportunities. And, and even for pastors, one of the things I've had to, you know, anybody who's been in ministry for over two years realizes that one sermon doesn't often regularly change anybody's life, mm -hmm. right? Every once in a while, there'll be something you say that really hammered somebody on the right day and it, it's a life-changing event for them. But most of the time, one sermon does nothing um, besides like chip away at the block a little bit more. It's, it's sermons over a long period of time kind of shaping and molding. And, uh, and it's the same thing with discipleship with uh, kids as well. It's just conversation after conversation after conversation and shaping and molding. And uh, it's not one conversation, but it's hundreds, if not thousands that are kind of shaping us to be who we are. And that's, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I don't know if it's the opposite of you, but, um, I do remember struggling with that a lot when I first started preaching is you'd sit there in your study and you'd pour over like, okay, should I say that? I mean, it might raise some questions or should I even go there? It's like, yeah, I'm going to put that line in there. And then you get no feedback and it's just like, 
where did that work go? Did it make a difference? You know, why did I wrestle with whether or not to include that comment for so long? But again, like you, I think you've learned very much, and it is my experience, that slow process of time after time, little bit chipping away and becoming hopefully more and more formed into the image and likeness of Christ. Um, and it doesn't happen very often in that one message, in that one moment, in that one experience. Yes, there are some substantial ones uh, that we all can cling to, but uh, there is that beauty of that long, slow process of becoming more and more formed uh, into your understanding. Yeah, and I think, and uh, it's one of the dangers of... Uh... I'd say the culture that we're in, and then both you and I have this youth ministry background too, where we know that in youth ministry, there's always this danger of seeking the mountaintop experience, right? Everybody wants the mountaintop experience. Everybody wants the big meaningful moment and the people, uh, and, and people start growing up into that, right? I, I know people in their thirties, forties, fifties who are still seeking that moment. And that's the thing that they want is, and uh, not realizing that those moments are very few and far between for the most part, and that the vast majority of the Christian life is not mountaintop moments, but just um, that that line that Eugene Peterson has made well known, right? It's more of a long obedience in the same direction, like yeah. just faithful. And there's some mountaintops that come in those in the midst of those, but most of it's just being faithful and putting one foot in front of the other and doing, doing things that God's called you to do. Right. Yeah. I've thought about it like food a lot of the time, right? Most of our meals are uneventful and forgetful, but there's something great about a good Thanksgiving meal and, and a Christmas dinner and a birthday celebration. But most of my meals are just to get me to the next one. And um, yeah, you're, you can't live off of just Thanksgiving dinners. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through Substack. That way, you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox. It will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head over to the Messy Reformation on Substack and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Dave Vandermeulen. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So, keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.